Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women on life after 50 who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. If your life were a movie, how would you want it to end? I'm joined today by a woman who is writing her own terrific plot twist. Barbara Ward-Thal is a former ad technology and brand marketing executive turned emerging screenwriter. She writes highly personal female-led stories to channel her, quote, sorrow, rage, and astonishment with life, and to provoke and provide hope. She was recently chosen as one of 12 writers for a writer's program for women over 40, backed by heavy hitters Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman, and Oprah, with her period Western little sister. She's also at work on a sci-fi TV pilot, Geriosity, which is heavily influenced by her time as a woman of a certain age in business, corporate culture, and technology. Prior to screenplays, Barbara spent five years leading global brand marketing for Audible, Amazon's audio business, and 20 years at Digital Innovators, Razorfish, and Radical Media. And her first early career was in TV commercial production. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you. Thanks, Katie. Nice to be talking to you today. Yes, I'm so delighted. This is like a little ray of sunshine on a, on a wet, rainy day. <laughs> Same uh, here. Awesome. Yay. Terrific. So, Barbara, I, I absolutely love a big, bold work pivot, and you are on your third. <laughs> How did you yeah. make you – know, this is a big leap. How did you make the leap from Audible and marketing to screenwriting? Oh, my gosh. You know, purely by accident, like most things are. I can't say I planned it at all. Um, I just, I don't know, after I left Audible, it was wonderful place to work and, you know, super intense, fast moving culture, lots of great opportunity. But, you know, when I finally left, I just was, you know, a little tired, you might say. And so I kind of gave myself some time off just to think things through, think think things through and really reevaluate what I was doing. And I have to say it was in that sort of quiet space that things started sort of bubbling up and, um, and in sort of this weird, you know, confluence of events, I just started to think about writing and really what it was partly was this notion of doing some look back and some self-examination and a little bit of therapeutic work to realize or to look at, you know, my career and why I made the choices I made and, you know, whether they made me happy or not and what, what did I find most satisfying and do all that sort of introspection. And at the same time, I had um, just <laughs> real quick, I, I was watching uh, Alfonso Cuaron's movie, Roma, which I absolutely love. Oh, stunning. Such an impact on me. And, and there was something about, you know, the way that he looked back at his childhood in the 60s. And I certainly didn't grow up in Mexico. I grew up in Baltimore. But, you know, the way he looked back at his family, I just, I don't know, it really resonated with me. And on the heels of that, literally the next day, I did a big um, sort of dinner with a bunch of my first cousins in Maryland, and I started thinking about all my stories, like what are, what's my version of, you know, those stories that you saw in Roma, like the dad trying to back that big car down that tiny driveway, and and it, all this stuff sort of started to come together, you know, those elements combined with you know, that look back therapeutically at my life. And I'm like, I want to write some, some of this stuff down. So on the ride home, literally the next day after this sort of cousin's dinner, I said to myself, I'm going to write a screenplay. And literally the following day on Monday, I searched the internet for how to write a screenplay. Thank God for Google, right? You can, you can teach your... 
you can teach yourself anything. But exactly. I'm curious, Barbara, you grew up in Baltimore, which I did not realize because we, we met in New York City. But um, how did you come to be writing a period Western if you're uh, are a Baltimore girl? Oh, my gosh. Well, it's so funny. I, I did love movies as a child, and uh, which led me to study sort of film and communications in college. But um, I was a huge fan of Westerns and more specifically uh, John Wayne Westerns like True Grit. But The Cowboys is one of his movies that I just love. I probably watch it once a year. And um, and anyway, I, I'd always loved this idea. And The Cowboys, if you haven't seen it, it's John Wayne hiring a bunch of school kids to help him drive cattle um, because it's during the gold rush and all the able-bodied men have fled west to find their gold. And so he has to use these school children. That and of hilarious. course they run into trouble. <laughs> and I was like, I want to be one of those cowboys and I want to be in a Western. And so I guess that was the germ that made me write a Western. <laughs> That's so fun. So you also told me uh, a little bit earlier in our pre-call that your screenplay, your screenplays really um, are sort of informed by some of the, like, the sorrow and the rage, and but also the possibility and hope that you feel uh, as a woman of a certain age. You've walked in a lot of different areas of life. You were doing TV production. You were doing business. You were doing marketing. Tell me more about how all of these streams come to, came together to inform the writing that you're doing. Yeah, you know, particularly I feel like, you know, I'm, I just turned 60. And so, you know, I was born in 1960. And sort of coming in of age at that time, it just, you know, I always felt frustrated by what were, and I guess still are in some ways, the sort of gender norms and the gender stereotypes. And I, I was that sort of quintessential tomboy type girl where I wasn't interested in dolls. I wasn't interested in being a princess. Like I said, I wanted to be a cowboy. I wanted to build forts. I wanted to go fishing. I wanted to kind of do things. And I remember feeling like a lot of the choices that um, were my natural inclinations um, were not really accepted and, and it was difficult. And, and so you know, even going through school and studying film, you know, there weren't many women in the program. Um, and and when I, I ended up winning sort of a, an internship my senior year in college, which took me out to California. So I sort of landed in Hollywood in 1982. I mean, and it was a very male dominated place. I landed in um, uh, a special effects studio that was filled with you know, model makers and cameramen and stop motion animators and that kind of thing. And it was very, very male. And I just definitely felt like there were certain things that weren't available to me. Um, I didn't see any women doing the things that I kind of wanted to do. And, um, and so I think, you know, when I talk about the sorrow and, and rage, it's feeling as if, you know, what I would want to do as a self-actualized creative person might not be available. And so those are definitely themes that I sort of, you know, the first three screenplays I wrote were super autobiographical. One was sort of set, you know, in my middle school, the second one when I was in high school, and the third one when I was in college. And all three of them, what they have in common is me trying to kind of do something that is slightly out of character for a girl at that time. You know, Barbara, oh. it's so amazing because you said when you landed in Hollywood in 1982, 
you know, this uh, the space was largely occupied by men. But here it is, 2020, and that has barely changed. I, yeah. I did a little Googling before this um before this show, and I think it's something like 12% of screenwriters are female, and it's yeah. even a smaller number for directors. And, you know, last year there was so much buzz during the Oscars when Greta Gerwig was nominated for the screenplay for Little Women, and everyone was excited because she was the first woman nominated since George Bush II was in office, you know, when oh it, when gosh, Diablo right. Cody won um, in 2008 for Juno. I mean, Greta Gerwig lost yeah. to, uh, you know, uh, Taika Waititi, who did a, a marvelous, fabulous job with Jojo Rabbit. And yep. I, I, yep. Love, I love both those movies. But you're talking about your past, and it's still the present. It's still hard yeah. to be in this space. So, represent, you know, representation so, so. matters. You know, we need to see ourselves in stories. So what do you think, you know, the stories that we need to be telling? How, how do you see things breaking through? You just spent time with 12 writers. You just spent time in this sort of Oprah, Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman space. What are the opportunities? Yeah, and I will say that that was a common theme. The, the 12 women who were in the program, um, we've, you know, we've continued to be great friends and supports to one another. And uh, we were always breaking off into these, you know, uh, Zoom calls to talk about various things. And And one of the things we actually talked about earlier this week is exactly what you're talking about is that there are, it, it's still so hard and rare for women to break through with the kind of stories that we want to write. And I think, you know, looking across the other, I had the opportunity to read the other 11 screenplays in the program. And I will say all had a female protagonist, all had um, what I would call sort of atypical individual women. And that in that you know, one of the things that I get frustrated by even watching Hollywood today, as you talk about, is so many um, films that are supposed to be big vehicles for women are what I would deem as women acting like men. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, let's get the girls together to do the oceans, you know, whatever. And let's get, you know, the widows together to wreak vengeance on, you know, the, the mafia that's hurt their husbands. And, and I, and, and all of us talk about, we're, we're not interested in, you know, women who, the definition of a badass woman is I ride a motorcycle and I carry a gun. Right. I don't want to act like right. a guy, you know? And so all of our heroines are much more, um, you know, I guess if I were to say that they had anything in common, it's just, they're trying to do whatever the hell they want to do. And, and that may not, you know, look like a typical female thing. It may, but it's really about empowerment and following a goal and following a dream. And, and I'm, I'm, I would love to see more of those stories up on screen where it's not just, you know, the, the big blockbusters tend to be where women are carrying a sword or a gun or Right. Know. That's such a great point about recycling these sort of tired tropes about, you know, just what a Hollywood movie is and just putting women, right. slotting women into those roles um, doesn't do the trick. And there's nuance and richness and layers and... You know, it's funny when you even said, like, uh, you know, the quote unquote sort of typical woman. I'm like, well, what is that? That women are doing all sorts of different things. You know, there's so many different generations and interests and, and um, ways that people are living our lives. And there's the opportunity to tell those rich stories. So tell me a little bit about, you know, walk us through screenwriting. What does screenwriting look like? <laughs> you had said something at one point that the different acts, 
help us understand yeah, what it what yeah. it, what you go through to create a screen um, screenplay. Well, and and I I will you know caveat with this that I've been writing for under two years, so I am by no means an expert. And there's hundreds, if not thousands, of books that you could read on you know story structure and narrative arcs, and you know the hero's journey and how that breaks down into X and et cetera, et cetera. And I think you know what I my learning curve so far has been when I first sat down, like I want to I want to do these semi-autobiographical stories. I, the first couple that I wrote and the first drafts were very sort of what they call sort of episodic where I did this and I did that and blah, blah, blah. But there was no real arc. You know, there was no clear, singularly focused external goal that my heroines had to go through. So that's something that I definitely had to learn. Um, but really you know, what I've learned about this three-act structure, what I've taken away from it and sort of absorbed in my writing is that, you know, there is the first act where you're sort of setting up the world and you're setting up the potential for this conflict and you're setting up your characters and and then trying to um, slightly reveal who they are and and have some sort of inciting event at the end of act one, which leads to the pursuit of this external goal. Um, so that's usually the very visible thing. Um, the, the other part of it is, you know, the internal goal. How are you going to change as a person? Once you get into the second act, and usually that's broken up into like the first half of the second act and the second half, because that's pretty much probably 50% of your story, you know, that's where all the obstacles and the setbacks and the, you know, everything you have to fight through to get that sort of external goal. And very often it's where you have to look yourself in the mirror to realize, you know, what is that character flaw or that character trait that may be preventing you from achieving your goal. And then there's the third act where, you know, hopefully the character prevails and they come out with having learned something. And what occurred to me as I was writing my first couple of stories is, you know, this notion of a three-act structure and the notion of our lives perhaps being a movie, you know, as I started to think about, you know, writing and look, the idea that I'm going to be a famous screenwriter or even I'm going to get a movie produced is, you know, the, the odds are very, very slim. So I have to be doing this not because of some sort of outcome that I expect to happen, but because it's going to bring me back home in some way, like a screenplay. So for me, you know, my, as I'm contemplating my third act and starting this screenwriting, what I'm discovering is I am really coming back to my, my childhood and what I loved, you know, watching John Wayne movies with my father. Um, and, and I feel like it, having this sort of realization about these three acts and noticing in my writing and then the writing of really good other writers sure. is that sure. often the germs of your resolution in your third act are, they exist in your first act. And so for me, as I'm contemplating 60 plus, you know, moving into this stage of my life, I want to make sure that it makes sense. So, and I ask my question, like if I'm going to write the end of my movie, what do I want my ending to be? Because I have to say when I left, you know, my last full-time job and I talked to friends about what I'm going to do, I had so many friends very kind-heartedly say to me, 
you know, you've had the big job, you've worked so hard, but gosh, your kids are grown now. Why don't you take it easy? Find a nice, easy job with a little brand you love and sort of, you know, sail off into the sunset. And I, I, I had this thought like, that's my last act. That's how my movie ends. <laughs> my movie's not ending that way. <laughs> my movie, not- and that way, that sounds kind of like I've given up and okay, my the, the heyday is done and all the fun is over, and I'm just gonna slip into you know my slippers, basically. So- I love this idea of the three act formula, you know, for screenwriting being analogous to life. And literally, as you're talking, my brain is popping and I'm asking myself how do I want my movie to end and and I I wanted to end um you know I want to live abroad again I wanted there's so many things that I want to do and I love that you've been able to take what you've been doing for work and creativity and apply it to your life um have you been able to share this theory with other friends and other people? Your I other... haven't so much, but just hearing you say that just hearing you say I want to live abroad again you know, again, it sort of proves my theory that the seeds of what brought us joy and meaning and fulfillment are kind of in maybe our first 20 years of life. And I know a lot of books have been written on this, right, about this notion of, you know, what do you gravitate to you know, on your own? How did you fill your time as a, as, as a child? And and we were lucky, I would say, in our childhoods because there was nothing to do. No, so- <laughs> no social media, right? No Fortnite and Minecraft. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, you know, how many times could I watch reruns of Gilligan's Island? So I eventually would start, you know, doing things just out of pure boredom. But those were the things that we come to, you know, because of some sort of natural interest or inclination. And, you know, I, you asked the question of how many of my friends have I spoken to this about? And I'm realizing not enough. Like, I really do want to test this theory and, and sort of ask my friends, hey, like, what, what did you lose your old, your whole sense of time doing as a child and what really fulfilled you? And it may not be, I'm not talking necessarily eight. It could be when you're 20, you know, you lived abroad probably later than that, but what are those things? And when you look at that third act, how can you engineer bringing them back in your life? I think it's so smart to look at those, as you said, those sort of seeds of what made you happy, what gave you joy, what you did, um, you know, willingly to fill your time and and to have those sort of germinate. So th- my question for you is, do you think you mm. could have d- taken on screenwriting at a younger age or did you have to get to 60 and have that quiet space and have the ability to look at um your life and say no to things in order to do what you're doing today? Or could you have done this at a younger age? I definitely, I'm so glad you asked that question because I would say absolutely not that I couldn't have. Um, I think that one of the, (laughs) the beautiful things about being 60 is having 60 years on the planet and 60 years of lessons and 60 years of experience. And I do feel like I've only gotten more sort of intuitive you know, in terms of noticing those sort of eddies and currents of relationship dynamics or cultural vibes or any of those things. Um, So I think, first of all, 
I, I, I just have more life experience and more observations that I think I can, I've just got more material perhaps to bring to the screenwriting <laughs> Everything's copy, right? Uh, yeah, totally. Everything is copy. And, and I would also say that over my career, because I started out in production, then I sort of worked to an agency and then I, you know, ended up at a client. And so I feel that what I learned around strategic thinking, around setting sort of frameworks for thinking, I think that's been super useful because I've also learned as I've started to write that a screenplay isn't just one idea. You know, a lot of people go like, I have a great idea for a screenplay. There's a guy who does a thing and blah. <laughs> but like, you know, once you start writing, you realize that's not enough. That's not you know, enough. you've got to have all these dynamics. There's conflict. There's rich detail that create a world. And so there's all these, you know, I separate ideas that you almost have to put into like a framework. Like, you know, when you're writing a strategy deck to pitch a new initiative at work or for a client. And, and I also feel like what I learned from advertising is this idea of starting, you know, doing a big ad campaign. You're always starting with an insight, right? You know, um, some, some thing about the human condition that you can use to start the creative process. And so I feel like having just that ability to structure my thoughts, I didn't have it 20, 30, 40, I don't think. Um, so I, I think it's that. partly material, but also, you know, just the skill and then, you know, not for nothing, but also the discipline and the work ethic that you just. Absolutely. You Getting up every day, looking at that blank paper, you know, or that blank screen and having to produce. I love what you said about the word insight, because I know that you can be talking about or perhaps you're talking about you know, the uh, the insight into consumer buying behavior that helped you structure ad campaigns that, that you know, spoke to a consumer and got them to, uh, you know, make purchasing decisions that you know, benefited you and your brand. But the same kind of insight uh, into creating stories that feature women um, where you gleaned bits of, you know, sorrow and rage and hope and optimism from moving in a several spaces that frankly are not that kind to women. I mean, what are some of the insights about being a woman of a certain age that you've brought into maybe particularly geriosity, which I know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so, and geriosity is so close to my heart because it's set in the future in 2050. And, um, I started out writing a feature and I just, it, the, the world was too big and it was too much to handle. And so I ended up switching to kind of a TV pilot and and really it's a 60 year old software engineer in 2050 and she's basically being made redundant for some crazy world dynamics there's overpopulation and in, in, in this world that I've created um, there's incentivized euthanasia and rampant and as a result rampant ageism which in my mind kind you know, it's very feasible and feels very real. I feel like we're almost living old. that right now. <laughs> and, um, exactly. And so anyway, one of the things that I realized as I was writing this character, my lead character, Samantha, who is, I was never an engineer, but I, you know, I wrote a little code in the day and, um, and I've certainly been around a ton of engineers, not enough women, I will say, but, but one of the sort of flaws that I've given her, which is so much a flaw for myself is that. I, I found as a woman, it was hard to ask for help. And um, I would see 
men around me depending on their buddies for things or, you know, men asking for help, like, or just blithely delegating, hey, you do this and blah, blah, blah. And and I always, you know, it, there's that old adage that we have to do things, you know, twice as well to get half the credit or whatever that quote is. Sure, it feels sure. like that. And, and I've always found it really hard to delegate. I found it very hard not to try and do things on my own and to kind of prove somehow that I was capable of so much. And, um, and, and that I believe kind of was a, a fatal flaw. And I think it did, it, it did lead personally to some of my own, you know, sort of burnout. And, um, and I do think that when pe- you don't ask people for help, um, then they they lose some interest in in helping you and i mean it sounds so obvious but it's almost like if you give off a vibe that um that you don't need any support mentors aren't going to show up for you um and so i feel like that was a little bit of a fatal flaw uh, you know that i had in my career and i'm certainly bringing that out in my main protagonist in this this TV series. That's such a great point. I, I remember my father saying uh, this to me years ago when he started you know, giving me coaching as I came out of college and then grad school and, and looked to land jobs and build a career. And he used to say, you know, pull people in and make them feel invested in you. You know, people totally. want people want to help, and if you if you ask for it, if you make them a partner in your decision making, maybe you're weighing two job options, or you're trying to decide if a company is a good fit by by asking somebody for their opinion, asking them to you know weigh in, that they become invested in your decision, and you kind of get knit together in some way. So it's you know, but on, by the same token, women women also feel like. You know, you you have to be perfect, and you you said the old adage twice as good to be, be you know recognized half as much. Um, so you don't want to maybe your inner voice is keeping you from asking for the help that you need. That's it's so interesting. I I, I find that it's, I've gotten older. I'm 51. I find that I definitely have more insights into things that I've done wrong, could have done better. Um, not in a beating myself up way, but in a way that I'm able to grow from them. So I love hearing you share that you recognize now that you could have done things differently and maybe produced a different outcome. Totally. And I, I think, you know, that whole insight, even if you, you know, if you t- about asking for help, um, you know, I, I, I believe that it's not just related to sort of the female experience or the female dynamic. I do feel like, you know, when we depend upon each other and really let others come through for us, that is, they get to feel like a hero. And I feel like sometimes when we don't ask, we deprive others of being the hero. Yes. And I I think that's, I don't know, that's just an insight that I actually think a lot about. I love um, that. I absolutely love that. People want to be generous and be helpful. And, and to uh, keep that from them is, you know, maybe preventing them from being their better and best selves. Exactly, exactly. And I think I I just, I don't know, I love that idea. Maybe I'll try and put that into something at some point. I want everyone who's listening to let somebody help them, right? Let Allow somebody else to be a hero in in an experience that you're having because it does feel so good to help. And this this sort of, this is a... Go ahead, Barbara, finish your thought. Then I want to talk about the pandemic because this is reminding me of of, of the question I have. 
Well, this is just a little tiny anecdote. It happened years and years and years ago. I, I live in Montclair, New Jersey, and it, I had a one-year-old, and um, I'm driving early one Sunday morning in the snow and to go to the grocery store because, of course, he's up at, you know, the crack of dawn. And so I'm early out on the snowy roads, and I literally come down this sort of main dragish in um, Montclair, and there is literally a car pulled out halfway perpendicular in the road. And there is a woman laying under the car. Oh, my gosh. And gosh. I, I'm like flipping out. I pull over. I jump out of the car. I've got my baby in the car seat. And what's basically happened is she had backed out over a berm of snow and had the car in reverse. She um, couldn't get out. She forgot to put the car in park. She got out of the car. She started kicking the, the snow berm. And basically, the car started moving and kind of ran over her. That didn't over her, but like against her. So she was stopping the wheel, but the wheel was like spinning against her. So anyway, wow. crazy thing. I jump out. I realize quickly what's happening. I get in her car. I put it in drive. I back off the, you know, the pressure that's on her and pull the car back in the driveway. I pick her up and... And it was like this whole thing. She's like, oh, my God. Like, And, you know, there's more to the story. But basically what ended up happening as, um, you know, I had these encounters with her afterwards. And she was like, oh, my God, thank you. Like, oh, my God, you saved my life. I was so afraid a car was going to come in the other direction and, you know, all this stuff. This is terrifying like, experience. Terrifying. And I'm like, girl, you made me a fucking hero. <laughs> Sorry. Can I say that on You're your 60. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> on the buzz I got from this hero moment. Forever. Like, this is being worked years. into a screenplay. This is this is not going away, this moment. That is incredible. Oh, anyway, I'm I sorry to digress. No. I, it's a great digression. No, because it's, it's first of all, it's a wonderful story that you remember so vividly years later because yeah. of being incredible assistance to a person who is probably, this must have been a terrifying episode with the snow and a woman under the tires. And I feel in some ways we're living through a, a terrifying moments and that you know, people are stepping into the breach in the pandemic and being the heroes that we need. You know, the our healthcare workers, the you know essential workers that are keeping the trains on the tracks, the grocery stores shelved, our teachers who are you know risking their own health to make sure that our kids are being educated and that working parents can you know get back to work. It's just we're an incredible moment where people should and can be asking for help and giving it. So this is. It's so perfect. But what is what is getting you through the, the, this pandemic? Have you been using this time to write? Do you feel like because sometimes I feel like I've got pandemic brain where it's hard to be as creative as I want. What's happening in your life with the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say so. And it, it is funny, though, starting to write, you know, or being you know, writing during this period. And I keep seeing all these memes, you know, on, from my writer friends who are like, everybody's asking, how's it going sitting in the house, you know, <laughs> at a desk all day? And they're like, you know. You're like, deja vu, deja vu. <laughs> I know. So for a lot of writers, they're like, well, this has been my life for 20 years. <laughs> I'm pretty used to it. So I will say it has been less of a shock you know, for me, and it, it's actually been a, a much more of a blessing that I feel that I can sort of sit quietly with my thoughts um, and and write and be sort of secluded. I need to to do that anyway, but 
I think from a inspiration perspective, I do feel like it is such a dramatic time. And to your point, we're seeing heroes out of, you know, school teachers who, I mean, my God, the patience and the creativity and the fortitude these people have to, to teach in this world or, you know, the frontline workers. I, I mean, we have heroes around us every day and crazy stories around us every day um, and heartbreak around us every day. You know, so many people have lost family members. You know, I lost my mom a couple of months ago, not of COVID, but I would say that she was totally a victim of COVID because we couldn't get to her. We couldn't be with her. And I know that, you know, as she passed and, and that's, that's not an experience that's unique to me. That's something that millions of people are going through and, um, and it's heartbreaking and heart wrenching and it's a sort of unique human experience. Um, but I feel like to, to, you know, in this world, the stories of heartbreak and heroism, I mean, it's, they're, they're everywhere. everywhere. So if you wanted inspiration, um, there's, there's plenty to be had. There's plenty to be had, Barbara. I'm sorry to, to hear about the loss of your mother. And I, and I agree. One of the way I lost my uh, brother-in-law during this time. And, and oh. one of the biggest heartbreaks is you can't be with people. You can't mark their um, passing. You can't be with them. You can't, it's hard to be with your relatives to support them. And, and happy milestones are also not getting acknowledged in the way that they, they should be. It's just a, a super weird, challenging, um, you know, and at times scary, but, but also an inspiring time. And I, 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 paying attention and being observant, as you said, to what's right. going on around you, you know, it helps keep you moving forward because there is, there is so much inspiration and, and we all have to to absolutely keep going. I, I love um, you know this this notion of uh, your third act. I think the ideas that you have shared about how you know life can unfold in three acts. How you can return to 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 seeds and um, you know uh, your sort of core self that maybe you uh, had sort of tabled during your years of of building careers and building families, and that you know when you have this space in your third act that you can re return to some of the things that, that give you joy. So if, if your life were a movie, Barbara, how, how is yours going to end? Tell us <laughs> before, oh my gosh, before we wrap, I want to know what, what do you, what, what is your vision for your, your movie ending? Is it cinematic with a big splashy sunset? <laughs> is it quiet? Is it meaningful? Is it funny? I think it's, I think it's, you know, I hope it's meaningful. I think it will probably be quiet. I definitely have appreciated more quiet. Um, I do feel like I, as much as I'm so loving this process of learning, you know, this craft, um, I'm trying really not to be attached to the outcome because if I, you know, if I think that I can only find success and feel fulfilled in this journey is if I like, you know, win an Oscar, then I'm going to be sorely disappointed. So I feel like I have to, to, you know, not be attached to an outcome and just be in the joy of the process. Um, and so as a result, I do think to answer your question, it is going to be quiet. I think, I hope it's going to be joyful and meaningful. And I really, I expect it to be funny. 
Um, <laughs> I, I, I hope so anyway. So I love um, that. I, Finding joy in the process is, is great screenwriting and life advice. I mean, it's to, to enjoy the, uh, the journey and not, not the destination. Barbara, I want to ask you, you've, you've shared so many mm-hmm. wonderful prompts that I, that I know I'm using to, to think about my, my third act. And I'm sure that anyone who's listening to this right now is asking themselves, you know, how is my movie going to end? But um, I want to ask if there's a, a particular piece of advice or tool that you might share with our listeners who are thinking about screenwriting, who are thinking about, you know, trying to figure out a creative next step. Is there a resource that you have to share? Oh, my gosh. You know, this is so hilarious. But I'm going to just say YouTube. I mean, there is nothing I haven't been able to learn on YouTube. I love that. In this COVID (laughs) era, you know, I built a victory garden also in the spring. And I'm like, can I put, what, what should I plant with asparagus? I ask YouTube and they tell me. I you know, oh decide my gosh! I I, ha- I I would never have thought there were gardening videos on YouTube. Oh my gosh! So many you could watch them now until the end of time. I mean, I and and all of the um, I, I there's like I said, hundreds of thousands of books on screenwriting and you know constructing narratives and whatever. And I am. I don't learn that way. I learn from trying. I learn from writing. But I also learn from hearing people talk about process. And so as I was starting to write, and even today, I watched a great YouTube video, um, Quentin Tarantino and 10 Tips on Screenwriting. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at the wealth of information that is out there that is free and that, um, you know, has certainly been a giant resource to me giant resource to me been so helpful smart advice we got youtube we've got google we can all we can figure it all out barbara how can our listeners keep following you and learn more about your work and your creative projects and and keep abreast of what you're up to oh thanks um so i'm on twitter and instagram um and my handle is uh at bw thaw um that's t-h-a-l-l my initials um and i'm also on linkedin obviously and Coverfly, which is a writer's resource, I also have a profile on Coverfly, if uh, any writers out there are members. Um, and that's it. Nice. Okay. I will put all of those social media handles into the show notes so people can follow along and see how your projects are progressing. Barbara, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it was my, my pleasure. I love the podcast and I love the discussions you're having. So I'm just thrilled to be part of it. Thank you so much. Thank you. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women over 50 who are aging without apology. Thanks for listening. This podcast is my own big, bold work pivot, and I'd love your help in making it grow. So please leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If Instagram or Facebook is more your thing, you can follow the show at A Certain Age Pod. And don't forget to visit us at acertainagepod.com for show notes and bonus content. Special thanks to Michael Mancini Productions, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties. Beauties.